You're listening to DraftKings Network. Would you rather defend one McKinnon-sized McDavid or (laughs) 1,000 McDavid-sized McKinnons? David-sized McKinnons or one... Oh, my God. Welcome back to Too Many Men. I am Sarah Sivian from The Athletic with my colleague Shayna Goldman, also from The Athletic. (laughs) Shayna, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm falling apart without Allison Lucan. She is a jet setter right now coming back from Seattle after another busy day with the Kraken. So we are trying our best to host this podcast and I am going to do, I'm doing my absolute (laughs) best, but I'm nervous. She has a thankless tough job. So feel free to roast me after this, but all right. I feel like without her, it's like an Oilers win when McDavid doesn't score. Like it's not pretty, but it can get the job done. And then, when Allison's here. Allison's Connor McDavid of the podcast, like, and I am Mike Smith, so oh we will see what happens. <laughs> there has been plenty of news since we last spoke, and we'll get into the matchups later. But let's get into our bit o news here. Um, first woman drafted into Canadian juniors uh, with a two thousand two thousand. <laughs> With the two, I cannot look at numbers and say them. With the 268th overall selection, the Vancouver Giants of the WHL have selected 2007 born, holy shit, I'm old. I know. Defender, <laughs> Holly Primorano from North Vancouver, BC. Uh, she's the first ever female to be selected in a WHL Bantam draft. So let's go, Chloe. I'll be. One thing that I think you might have interesting thoughts on is I don't think a woman has to be selected to a men's draft to be a good hockey player. So we congratulate her, and I think it's awesome, but what are your takes on that? Yeah, no, it's not like all of a sudden because she's thought of as good enough as the men that like that's what makes her career. She can be great without that. But I just I think it's really cool for her to have the spotlight and I want to see her thrive. And I think it's so cool that she plays defense because I feel like that's the position everyone will talk about, like how you need size and, you know, physical play. But like we know I watch Adam Fox on a regular basis. You watch Jacob Slavin. We know that you don't have to be oversized or super physical. You just have to be smart, good with your stick, smart with your positioning, read plays well to thrive. You know who Jacob Slavin learned to stick handle from? Who? His older sister who went to Nodak. Love that. Yeah. Love we'll that. always tell that story. They grew up watching the Mighty Ducks together, decided to play hockey, and apparently they were really good. But he <laughs> learned all this greatness from his sister, and that, maybe I'll do a story on that. You, know you what? should. The ideas are flowing this <laughs> In other news, in other women's hockey news, Hillary Knight came out in a story from The Athletic and awesome writer Meg Leinen, um, Hillary Knight came out as part of the queer community. And I thought that story was absolutely fantastic. Meg is the best. You need to read that immediately. But I thought you can tell it was written by somebody in the queer community, which is so important. They took days and weeks about how to 
word the story that Hillary could own it herself and that they've known each other for years. And it shows how important it is to have people in these communities writing these stories. Shana, what did you think? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think Meg doing it too, like she loves Hillary Knight as a player. She knows her as a person. Like this wasn't some random person reporting her. Like she knows She's, you know, taking the time to learn about her to know exactly how to interview her in this way. And I think for a story like this, that makes it all, you know, all the more more better. It's more like, it's like more of like an intimate setting when you have someone you can trust with these conversations. And there was a line in there that drove me up a wall, though, unrelated to that was uh, a local regional sports network said like she couldn't be on a broadcast because she never played in the NHL or something. And it's, it's incredible to me. There are so many men in commentary that have never played the game and who do analysis for women. If you look around, every single one of them, for the most, like almost every single one of them in the NHL is a gold medalist. Gigi Marvin with the Wild, Hillary Knight, um, AJ Malesko, Jennifer Botterill. Like they need a gold medal. The only one I can think of who's not a gold medalist who does analysis on an NHL broadcast is Alison Lucan, who wins a gold medal for everything else that she could ever do in the analysis field. But think about that. Like that's, that's mind-boggling to me that that's where the bar is to to get into this field. And it only took Hillary a few games to find her groove, and yep. now she's been awesome. I've loved her contributions on ESPN, and I think that panel with her and Kevin Weeks is just so good. And kudos to ESPN for seeing the talent and investing in it, you know? Yep, absolutely. In our final bit of news, more like bunch of news, um, <laughs> Our girls, Black Girl Hockey Club, are officially moving to Canada, not moving to Canada, but expanding <laughs> to Canada. They tweeted, it's official, we're bringing Black Girl Hockey Club to Canada. As we expand up north, we need you. If you would like to be involved as a board member, please email your resume to the email below, which is, which is, there's an um. email below, folks. Wait, is it? It's oh, there it Black is. Girl Hockey Club CA at gmail.com. Yes, yeah. Please email the email below at blackgirlhockeyclubca at gmail.com. I think that's sick that they're moving up there and that they're doing so well that they can expand. Like, you can look at the work that they've done and they're already making such an impact of making hockey more exclusive. Like, we're not asking for much, and here it is. Yes, it's awesome. Just like they have all these scholarships so people can go to camps or tournaments or whatever it is. And it's just you see these smiling little girls faces and it just warms your heart. And they're doing such important work. And Renee, the CEO, I guess if you'd want to call it, is just it's just fantastic. And it's they call on us to be better and we are all better for their existence. So consider donating to them. If it's something that interests you, send a resume and just follow them and support them. Yeah. Now we go to the shit list. A woman who alleged that she was sexually assaulted by eight CHL players, including members of Canada's 2017-2018 World Junior Team, has agreed to drop a lawsuit against the players. Hockey Canada and the CHL after reaching a settlement. Um, just another Rick Westhead unfortunate bomb. Um, she 
was repeatedly ass- she claimed she was repeatedly assaulted by eight players while intoxicated in a hotel room following a Hockey Canada Foundation gala and golf event in London, Ontario in 2018. So Shana, your thoughts? It's horrific. I like I don't even have the words and th- there's there's so much wrong with hockey culture and there's so much wrong with with people thinking they can get away with this and this isn't this isn't, you know, the regular team Canada. This is the junior team. Like it's it's at every level that there's these problems and I I I really hope that you know, she has the support she needs and I I I don't even have the words. Like this is such a horrible situation. Yeah. And people might say, oh, she's dropping the case. It didn't happen or whatever. But Rick also posted a really informative article about why sometimes women feel like they can't go to the police and why they drop these things because apparently she wouldn't cooperate with the police. That's the reasoning. Um, There's a lot of reasons for that. And I implore you to do some research about that if you're wondering why she wouldn't cooperate. And Rick has it in his thread. Um, I just think there are multiple current um, NHL and AHL players on that team. So the NHL is launching an investigation and I just hope they thoroughly investigate that because that is disgusting and shameful. And people always say there's no place in hockey for racism. There's no place in hockey for sexism. There's no place in hockey for this, but there is. And that's the problem. We need to be better. We need to acknowledge it to eradicate it. Yep. And we can't like, I think sometimes hockey players, especially, you know, gold medal winning teams and things like, you know, you're on Team Canada is a huge deal. They get put on a level that's higher than everybody else that they shouldn't be untouchable on that level. And because they're on that level and they have that prestige, it doesn't give them the right to do these things. And it's so important that it is taken seriously. And it's it's so wrong on so many levels that I really do hope the NHL does a thorough job at it. And this isn't something that they drag their heels like you, you got to do something you, you really do it it makes such a statement when you don't and I feel for her if it's even more pressure to say something because it's it's team Canada this is you know what I mean like it's so hard for someone to be like okay well this is something everyone loves or who will believe me? like anything like that and I just think that's horrible so I really hope the NHL takes it seriously because it's such a bad precedent if they don't and the answer is not oh they were kids oh they were that's not that's not it. This is not, you know, I hear that sometimes when it's like someone has bad tweets. It's like, well, they were 17. You said stupid shit when you were 17. Like, this is a different level. Like, it's not, you know. This is eight people assaulting one woman. So I hope she's staying safe and peaceful right now. Yep. But all right, let's get into our round two vibe check. Let's start with the snooze fest and the frustrating series that we know and we love. The Canes took a 3-2 lead on the Rangers last night. Of course they did because they were at home. Shana, off the cuff, what are your thoughts? It's amazing the difference, the home and away difference, the way Carolina played. They were much more physical on home ice. And I, the easy answer is the matchup game. But I'm like, there has there has to be some more of it. But you do see it like Jordan Stahl went up against Zibanejad a lot. And Zibanejad and Kreider had a rough night as a result. Like, it makes sense that if Carolina, they have their shutdown lines. If they can get them against the Rangers best, they're, they're going to shut them down. But, like, it's mind-blowing the difference. And in some ways you could say maybe they're getting out coached, you know, 
because the adjustments that do or don't get made, and you could see that, like, game one, I think, was a prime example of that for the third period. But the Rangers looked absolutely horrible last night. Like, it it was a mix of the Hurricanes looking that good, and we've talked about how they have another level that they haven't reached, and it was also the Rangers looking that bad that I think it came to that middle ground. Right. I was talking to uh, Molly Walker and... Vince, I am not going to try to pronounce it. Mercagliano. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) there we go. And I'm Italian, shame on me. But (laughs) last night, two New York reporters about how funny the narratives are, right? Like, I look at that game and I think, because I cover the Hurricanes, that that was their best, most dominant performance. And then the Rangers side, the coaches saying that, okay, it doesn't matter if they had a good performance, we had a bad performance. And it just goes to show how sometimes we have these narratives and they are right, but there's room for more narratives. So I do, I will stand tall with my narrative that that was the strongest performance the Hurricanes have had all series. I think it's, they played the game that they are trademarked for with being stingy defensively. And I just, the neutral zone, I, I, they were collecting pucks and they were actually going in. The Jordan Stahl pass, shorthanded. It's funny that the Canes have two shorthanded goals and one play, uh, one, one power play goal this series. Uh, that's just the way it is, I guess. Uh, that's just the way it is. <laughs> My boyfriend just whistled that. But I... I don't know. I think we need to give props to Tavo Teravainen, who broke the power play drought and has been quietly leading the Hurricanes with 11 points and four goals in 12 games. He doesn't get enough credit for kind of calming everybody down. So I'm going to give him props. And I think, what do we think about Chris Kreider? Like, is that the Hurricanes matchup game or is that him not being great on the road? It's like it's a little of both right now because I do think the matchup game's influencing him a lot, but he he still should be better. Like at the end of the day, the team needs their top players to be the the best that they can be, and it's not like the Rangers have the deepest of lineups that if their top line's not clicking or their their top six isn't clicking, that the bottom six can step it up. Like the kid line had got you know got chances, and they obviously made some tweaks, and they're not going to expect that much from their fourth line other than to try to hold the fort down. So it puts even more pressure on Kreider to step it up. And this isn't someone who doesn't have postseason experience. He does. He's been very good in the playoffs before too. So it's it's an odd one. Like he his game was of any player in New York to like stand out for the wrong reasons. It was him. And, you know, I think he does need to one step it up on the road and two get past the matchups. But it I mean the other thing too is like that shutdown line has Jesper Fost on it. If anybody knows Kreider's game or Panarin's game even more because they played together it's him so I wonder too like how much he knows how to beat them because he is a really smart player that I don't think I don't think he got enough credit in New York until his last year and I feel like he's getting appreciated with the Hurricanes now and he's such a good fit for them but like I wonder how much the former Rangers like Derek Stepan knows Kreider's game probably better than anybody that isn't on this current Rangers team. They played together for so long. I wonder, like, how much they're helping, like, the pre-scout. Yeah, it's it's honestly, that might be the key to this series when you really think about it. Like, you don't know how much impact, how many, like, so many former Rangers on the Canes is going to have, but it does feel like an not insignificant impact. Yeah. Like, the way... But then it's the same deal with Tony D'Angelo to me when I look at the way that the um, 
Rangers have been able to contain him at the perimeter. I think that has been huge for them, but he kind of broke through yesterday. I want to say with Kreider, too, I noticed a few really strong plays from him yesterday where he's buzzing around, but it felt like that shutdown line just had his number. So that yeah. I, I think that's a little credit to the Canes, but there, that hadn't been the case for maybe the first two games. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And, you know, it's funny, like, a lot of the players on the – like, Brendan Smith knows, like, the Rangers – the Rangers have changed so much since they last made the playoffs. And it's funny because it's like Stepan knows that last iteration and D'Angelo and Smith know this iteration and Fost is, like, perfectly in between that. So, yeah, I think – I think the Rangers need Kreider and Zibanejad to be the players to lead them forward. And Zibanejad has been better – you know, this series versus last. I know he, like, shined and when it mattered the most, and that's great and wonderful, but, like, they need more from them on the road for sure because the Panera line isn't doing as much as that you would want them to if you're New York. But, no, it's, it's, it's definitely a combination. Like, that was one of the Rangers' worst games. It looked a lot like them from the regular season at times, too, with, like, the lack of offensive creation. But, like, it's on them for not driving hard enough to the quality areas, and it's on the Hurricanes for playing so well defensively. Like, I think when we hear the Flames Oilers talk, remember it was like, well, I don't think, you know, maybe the Flames aren't the better team in this series. Like he's, I think Sutter said ahead of game five, like everyone always looks at the negative, you know, from that, like you said, the narrative, like, oh, it must be this, like, it's a combination of it. And now what the fuck's going to happen in game six? Like, can Carolina win on the road? I think they're going to have to get, like, it's like the power play. You break through, you get that off your back. That's one step. I feel like they have to figure out a way to win on the road if they're going to go against Tampa next. Like, I think if it goes to seven, yes, they have the home ice advantage, but I just think they need to, like, break through now instead of maybe next series. I completely agree, and when I'm racking my brain trying to figure out what it really is that's giving this home ice advantage and a road disadvantage, I don't think... No offense to the lovely fans, but give me a break. They're all you can pretend they're screaming for you at Madison Square Garden if you really they're want so to. They're so quiet. They're so quiet. Yeah, get yeah. okay. I don't want to. I think that if you're a fan, you need to act however you want to be. And if you are a fan that's paying to go to a Ranger playoff game and spending hundreds and thousands of dollars, no, you don't deserve criticism. You should do whatever the fuck you want. But they cheer louder to boo at people like when it was Crosby or D'Angelo than they are to cheer their own team at times. And it's just like. Really? Like, I, I don't know. I think to your point, it might be because the tickets are so damn yeah. expensive that it's kind of the cheese and cracker crowd like Toronto uh, in the, yeah. at the glass where they need to be the loudest. So yep. that's my observation. But I guess they aren't letting Rangers fans into Madison Square Garden <laughs> either. Hey, oh, I'm just kidding. And they Love never you. have. It's yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah. it's corporate. It's so corporate. Yeah. And I feel like the playoffs are diff- definitely different. But, like, it's not, like – Playing on the road in New York should be that hard. Yeah, but about the home ice advantage, I don't think it's necessarily about the fans of either teams. I think when I look at what the difference has been, it's been special teams. And it just has happened to shake out to me that when the Canes are away, they've been awful at special teams. So they finally broke through on the power play at home yesterday. I think they might take that confidence into the next game. But honestly, who am I to bet against the Rangers at home? (laughs) yep in other news the most bland series we got that out of the way the eastern series are the biggest disappointments ever to the west yep i was almost crying watching the battle of alberta for the past few games because i'm just like that 
is so much fun. And then yep. we got Nathan McKinnon versus the Blues, and that was even more fun. Like, which series have you enjoyed more? Probably the chaos of the Battle of Alberta, because there have been some games with the Colorado series where one team is so much better. But that's why the last game was so exciting to me. In round one, especially early on, we saw all these teams go out to these huge leads, and it was like, that's it. You're not catching up. Game's over. And this wasn't that. I'm upset. Legit, I'm upset about this Nathan McKinnon goal. And I might have jinxed it. When we do the daily, we were making jokes about, like, if we write it too soon, we're going to get fucked. And that totally happened because I wrote that as the moment it was over because I was so impressed that the Blues tied it 3-3 and McKinnon comes out and does that. Like, tie game, he already scored two, and he's like, fuck this, I'm taking control, scored a gorgeous goal, and it wasn't enough. And, I, like, that's mind-blowing to me. But what was exciting about that is we're seeing players like McDavid, like McKinnon, play their games. Most, it's, like, first and foremost, they are playing their games, and I think everyone has a tendency to, like, dumb it down in the playoffs. And, yes, there's there's some merit to that, but sometimes it's, you get too far away from your game, like, hey, Florida, how's it doing on the golf course? Like, you know, you have to play to your strengths, and it was nice to see McKinnon do that. And even when the Avalanche had home ice, it's not like they're panicking, like, we have to get him away from Ryan O'Reilly. It was like he just has to play better, which he did. But that, I could not believe that the Blues tied it and won it. That's huge. It's super exciting. I I have no idea how the game's going to go tonight, but, like, I'm thrilled we got that tight game out of it because I don't think I feel like it has felt a little bit more one-sided which has made the Battle of Alberta more exciting yeah yeah kind of agree with you there but I was so impressed with the Blues in overtime the plays that they were making and then even before overtime I I just think the resolve that they had I wasn't expecting I don't know they behind the net set play for me was just kind of I can't believe that worked I yeah. give a lot of credit to them. I don't know. It was just something I was not <laughs> expecting to happen. That's why you watch the playoffs. So that series is still on, but yep. the Oilers have defeated Calgary in the Battle of Alberta, and Connor McDavid has finally earned my respect. And it's not <laughs> – and I, mean, I know I'm the number one Oilers hater, but I think it's because – I'm like trying to figure out why I think this way. It's because I want McDavid to show me a shred of personality. And then he scores that winner and he's smiling and celebrating. I am like, fuck yes, Connor. That's the boy I know. (laughs) That is the man I will root for. So I am happy for him and I am happiest for the little boy, Ben. It's his sixth birthday today and the Oilers pulled off that win for him. So happy birthday, Ben. Yeah, and like you were saying, the personality, when he got off the ice, I saw a clip of it, and he's, like, walking to the locker room, how hyped he was, and there was an interview, and they talked to him about the game, like, him scoring the game winner, and he said, like, I was bad. He said it three times, and I'm like, your level, that's the thing, when you're an elite talent, and I would put him in the generational tier, your level of bad is better than some player's level of great. There's no doubt about that. So his level of bad, I'm like, you were, you were bad. But if that's what you think and you're like, I'm going to take this upon myself, like the way he's taken over games, it's what we all expect of him. And it's wrong of us to expect him to do it in a sense, because we know that one, this is not 
the NBA level of star power in the NHL, like, we know that. Like, it's not one player can decide a series, you can build a team overnight. Otherwise, the Oilers probably would have won a lot. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the over-reliance on one player that's completely fucked them over the years. But Conor McDavid doesn't give a shit. And he's been so incredible. He was great in round one. But this series, the way he's taking over games, and yes, it definitely helps. He has Dreisaitl even strength, even though Dreisaitl is not fully healthy. And he's been amazing, too. He's driving that team that I I want. I don't like the Oilers because I don't like management. I don't like Evander Kane. I don't like Duncan Keith. But I love to see the greatest player, one of the greatest players in the league, because I still think it's a toss-up between him and Crosby, like thriving. And now we potentially could see him play McKinnon. I will throw a fit if we do. I'm going to throw a goddamn fit if we do not get McKinnon versus McDavid next round. Would you rather defend one McKinnon-sized McDavid or 1,000 <laughs> McDavid-sized McKinnons? McDavid-sized McKinnons or one... Oh, my God. That If Connor McDavid had the size and strength of McKinnon, I don't... I feel like he would be everybody's favorite player because people probably don't like him because he's, like, scrawny and kind of like a string bean. But, no, I would not want to defend 1,000 yeah. of them. No. Like, that... 1,000 McKinnons... No, that isn't that's an elite player. I feel like people I don't want to say like forget how good McKinnon is, but I feel like sometimes we get distracted by like the star power around him and also this shit he says like no pasta and people are supposed to be like, Okay, guy, and like then you hear like the dumb questions like maybe he did just say fuck it. And <laughs> yeah. Like honestly, I that question is obviously supremely inappropriate and <laughs> horrible and uh very awkward but they did need to say fuck it yeah <laughs> but <laughs> maybe the worst person you know just made a great point oh my me. god but um mckinnon actually does have a personality i know i remember yeah. a story i read it i i almost said i wrote it. i did not write the story he was talking about his love of kind of niche rap music which was like pretty good rap oh, music yeah. that I like and I'm like okay let's hear more from Nathan McKinnon I would he dated uh some a like not some actress oh, like a well-established um, actress um from she was in Riverdale and yeah. she was with Mike Kopecki um Vanessa yeah Vanessa something Morgan some yeah I think is that it I'm thinking yes I could be wrong but he has an interesting life and I think even though I think the pasta comments are even funny like oh they're hysterical I think we need more out of him we we need more features maybe I'll write a feature on him I don't know we're getting all these ideas but the way yeah I just want to say one more thing about him I felt like he was gonna get a hat trick because from like the first shift he's just such a powerful skater he looks bigger like I mean he is probably bigger than a lot of people yeah. on the ice but he looks bigger than the net the way <laughs> I don't know how to describe it and the way he stops like short yeah. and is still able to it's just a dominant game oh my god I would love to see McKinnon and McDavid but now I think we're jinxing it and we're gonna get like I know I don't Justin want that I don't want that no McDavid. I think too like He's a big player, and maybe you don't expect him to be as agile on his skates as he is, but he has he has everything you could want in a skater. Like, he's so powerful with his stride. He has the speed, and he's so creative. There were plays in the first period that didn't connect, and it was like he had a setup to Miko Ranson, and I think it was. That was gorgeous, and I'm like, okay. And it's like we can't forget that he's playing with guys like Miko Ranson, and 
you know, these are top players in the league. And Gabriel Landeskog and my guy Val Nichushkin, love to see him thrive. And obviously, Kale McCarr right there and Devin Taves. Like, there's so much skill around him, but he still manages to show himself above the rest. And I think that's, this is something, so like, I wrote a story about the lessons you can learn from contenders with Saad. And I feel like this is something that everybody should be watching that, you, for one, want to have the most skilled players in the league on your team, obviously. But two, you want them to have the freedom to play their game. And you don't want to, like, dumb their... <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry, my cat just went psycho. Rangoon. I thought your microphone just fell as Rangoon, too. No, she pulled it off. Oh, my okay. God. <laughs> Bad goon. She's upset because Everett left. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Let me show you her right now really quick. Do you oh my see God. her? Yeah. She's just sitting at the door. She's like, How a many dog. Gatorades do you have on your desk right oh, now? Everett brought those for me as a treat after the game because I was so dehydrated. They're not for you to just drink right now. They're no. just like, they, oh I'm, like I'm like, are you? It's like no. when tennis players come out and they take out like all of their bottles of water and you watch them like, and you know they're going to drink them throughout and they'll have like, you'll see like three bottles sitting next to them and you see them like crush water throughout. I'm like, okay. I feel like. I would drown in it. I'm, I'm, I hate drinking. I hate oh. drinking water. <laughs> no, I am so dramatic about covering these games. You'd think I'm playing in them. I'm like, <laughs> I'm so thirsty. And I come back and see those Gatorades. So he is a great boyfriend. Kudos to him. But Rangoon's on the shit list. Anyway. <laughs> sure, what were we saying? Um, oh, just it's nice to see players playing to their strengths and like, teams not trying to contain their own players like you have Sidney Crosby let Sidney Crosby run you have Connor McDavid let him take over a game you have Nathan McKinnon and it just furthers like that's what you should be striving for not you have Artemi Panarin don't play to your strengths you have Brad Marchand don't play to your strengths like you can go around the league and see like if the wild told Kaprizov don't try anything like be play it safe like no you want your star players to thrive and it's just nice to see and like I don't know. I think it's fun to see underdogs do well, but I think it's, I think it's a treat that we get to see some of the best players on the biggest stage just keep going. Like I want to see more of what McDavid's gonna do next round, even if it's Connor McDavid versus whoever the fuck he faces in round two. Rangoon says, "Hell yeah, brother." Okay, <laughs> get out of here. Get your butt off the screen. Okay, so. Amen, sister. Uh, give us our fuck Mary kill of the day. Okay, so fuck Mary Kill, which Western Conference team goes to wins the Stanley Cup? Not even goes to the Stanley Cup. Do we want to do go or wins? Listen, when I'm watching this Canes Ranger series and I know Tampa is obviously a factor too, I'm just like if this is McDavid or McKinnon, they're going to beat these teams. Sorry. Yeah. So let's do wins the Cup. Win. Okay, so <laughs> the remaining Western teams, St. Louis, Colorado, Edmonton, go. Colorado, as I've said from day one, I've said fuck it, and I've said Colorado <laughs> is winning, so I'm gonna marry them. I'm gonna, I thank them for proving me right so far. I am going to fuck. Oh, the Oilers! I want it for Ben. Go Ben, play La Bamba, and I am going to kill St. Louis. They've already had their glory just years ago and they got it before the pandemic when the world was <laughs> not an absolute hellhole so 
you've had your fun. Let somebody else be happy for once. Shana? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the same actually. Like Colorado is a team I like how they're built and I think more teams should try to take note of them and if they win maybe then they'll listen. Otherwise it's like, oh they like what were the comments last year? Like they're not physical enough. They're not big enough like always. People find a reason instead of being like they maybe didn't adjust well or Vegas was that much better or things like that. But I would like to see that's the they play a style that I think is so entertaining that I'd like to see more teams catch on to. So if they could win, go off and like they're so good. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's nice to see like the best team actually win once in a while. Um I will fuck the Oilers because I don't want so many players on there to win. But if Connor McDavid won, I think that'd be incredible. Con smite the season, all those kinds of things, like go off, but then there's going to be some narratives that are going to drive me up a wall, so I don't want to commit. And I will kill the Blues. One, they've already won. Two, and, like, <laughs> I don't want to give their fans the satisfaction. And <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're the Blues hater. I'm the Oilers yeah. hater, but I'm reformed. Yeah, I, like, I love that forward group. I don't like the defense. I mean, I think it would be cool for Huso, too. It's, like, a big fuck you to everyone else or have everyone's obsessed with, like, Bennington because he won, even though he had bad playoffs after that. But, no, there was too much. First of all, I don't like all the drama with the Blues. I don't like how they handled shit. Um, and I want to see – I'd rather see Colorado move forward than them because if St. Louis were to win the Cup, that means they robbed us of McKinnon versus McDavid, and then I'm heartbroken, so I'll kill them. Sorry, Blues fans that listen to this podcast. We're not making any friends, but we are, will always <laughs> tell you the truth, and we yep. are not regulated by Allison right now. So, <laughs> All right, that'll do it for Friday's edition of Too Many Men. Um, I hope we nailed it. At the very least, I didn't cry trying to host this, so please subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and Maybe toss us a four-star rating. Somebody gave us a one-star rating for getting mad that I was talking about building a house with Kevin Rooney and that I like Greg McKegg. And we, our fans, know that that is actually supreme content. So yeah, keep us it reading. is. Have some fucking fun. Just say fucking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, folks. Goodbye. Oh, I love you. Bye. <laughs>